For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Sail into summer in New Jersey, where sea breezes drift along iconic sunny shores, stroll boardwalks, or soar high on the rides. Take time out to breathe in the great outdoors. Treat yourself, shop, dine, dive into history, the arts and culture, from dazzling winning cities to charming towns in the countryside. Find it all at visitnj.org. friends what's up welcome back to another episode of the new evangelicals podcast i hope 2022 is treating you right so far all right on let's try it again hey friends what's up welcome back to the new evangelicals podcast i hope you are doing well this is going to be for some people maybe a pretty intense episode and that's okay I interviewed Justin Oberste, who is a therapist. He is um, someone who's in the queer community, and he shared his story uh, attending Bob Jones University. And we also got into therapy, and we talked a lot about sex therapy. Now, I want to warn you, we do talk about pornography, and we might, by we, I really mean Justin, might land in some places that you as the listener might feel uncomfortable with. That is okay. We are allowed to listen to other perspectives and disagree with people. Part of why I bring on such a a diverse group of guests is so you are exposed to how people think and to other ways of living as a human. Justin is also trained in this this area, and so I really appreciated him talking about that um, and talking about just how purity culture can be so harmful and what sexual liberation looks like. That being said, if you are someone who has suffered from uh, abuse or sexual abuse, just be forewarned. We do talk about topics that are sexual in nature on this episode. That being said, friends, I want to say thank you to everyone who continues to listen and share the podcast. I... I mean, we're coming up on the year mark of the podcast, had no clue what it was going to turn into, and I'm just honored to have you here. Thank you. If you can give us a rating and review, it always helps us. And if you like the work that we do, we are totally crowdfunded. We do nothing behind paywalls. Everything that we're able to do is because the community helps to fund the work that we do. If you want to give, you can click on the link in the show notes below. It would go so far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my episode with Justin. I hope you enjoy it. Justin, thank you for making time to be on the New Evangelicals podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and also in the middle of a of a an atmospheric event, which is happening in California. So thanks for being here. <laughs> it's good to be here. 
Um, so you reached out to me maybe a few weeks ago and we're like, hey, we'd love to come on the show and talk. And I I checked out your Instagram and, and did some research. I'm like, yes, it'd be great to have you on the show. So why don't we start for our audience sake? Why don't you kind of give us like the big picture story of who Justin is? And then we'll dig into all the good stuff. Yeah, gosh, great question. I am a cisgender male. I grew up in the South. So I'm from um, a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. And I, yeah, born and raised there, moved to Greenville, South Carolina for college. Um, And I went to a very ultra conservative Christian college, which we'll get into, and lived there for probably about 16 years, and then moved to Los Angeles about three years ago, pursuing grad school, completing that. And then now I have landed in Santa Barbara, California. Wow. Awesome. Where I am a associate therapist. Okay. So you work in, in the realm of therapy, which is great. Yeah. So did you grow up evangelical? I mean, what, you're in the South, the Bible Belt. What was it like growing up for you? Yeah, it, I, a plethora. I mean, I, <laughs> I was raised Catholic. Okay. And then um, went to Southern Baptist. Okay. And then went to Independent Baptist. Okay. And then went to a non-denominational fundamental Baptist college. Okay. And then went to more of an evangelical route after that, which was more of like a Joshua Harris Sovereign Grace. Oh, yeah. okay. So you've had all the flavors yeah. of like fundamentalist oh, yeah. Christianity, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. And what was that like growing up for you in those spaces? Like, were you always kind of a committed Christian as you went through your teenage years? What did that look like for you? Mm. Yeah, I, I just, you know, would go. I found it interesting. I think I had a first conversion therapy, not conversion therapy. That's later. Uh, oh. a, um, a moment where I maybe gave my life to God when I was nine, when I was more in the Southern Baptist circle. But then I would say high school, I went to a Christian high school. That's when I um, would say I got saved. Okay. And that's a whole nother thing. Um, But that's when I more or less got more dedicated to Christianity. Like I need to go to a Christian college. I need to train. I need to know the Bible. I need to be Mm. some sort of evangelist, um, preacher, teacher. Um, So that's when I became a little bit more diehard, drank a lot of the Kool-Aid. Mm. It was later in my teens and then twenties. Okay. So at this point, are you thinking like, oh, I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to become a pastor one day. Like, what were you thinking like career wise? Cause a lot of times when, when we're in those teenage years, right. We're told by our society, start thinking about what you want to do for a living. And oh, sim- totally. similar to you, I was very committed to Jesus uh, through my teenage years. And I certainly entertained, you know, being in some form of ministry. Um, what was that like for you? Gosh, it was, it was great in a sense, because I was really at a point in my life going about almost going into Christian college where I was like, what do I do? I have no direction. And so my senior trip was at this camp called the wilds Christian camp. Okay. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that at all? I'm not. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. We're going to unpack that. I'm writing that one down. All right. (laughs) So I went and they had an evangelist speaking at one of the closing nights of this week long kind of Christian retreat for seniors. And I was absolutely scared (laughs) into the ministry, to be quite Mm -hmm. honest. Like if you don't get into the ministry, you're not dedicated to God. Um, You need to take this seriously. So I did. I was like, okay, I need, I need to be in ministry, I guess. And I guess along the way, people in my life said, you know, I was good at speaking or I was, you know, warm and friendly. So, yeah, you would do great as an evangelist or missionary or something like that. 
so that's when I kind of was like, okay, this is, this must be the direction for me. So when I went to Bob Jones University, which is the Christian college I went to, mm. that's what I pursued. Okay. Now you really just, out of fear. You just said one of the the words or one of the phrases that makes our audience, uh, you know, they pay attention. Wait, Bob Jones University. You know, yes. there most of them are probably aware um, of of what of what that college is about. I mean, I've covered Bob Jones himself pretty extensively. Um, you know, I brought up some of their major problems. What was it like for you being in this environment? Because Bob Jones is, is very, I mean, they're they're Pensacola level as far as how strict they are. Uh, what, yeah. what was that like for you? I love you just mentioned Pensacola. A lot of people don't know about that either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the difference, I'll tell the audience, the difference is uh, translation of the Bible in that sense. Pensacola is very King James only. Mm. That was kind of what it separated from. And then Bob Jones was more open to other translations of the Bible. Okay. But very similar as far as uh, morals or ethics, they would say, you know, dress codes, women in skirts, um, really no, you know, no makeup. Right. Very attractive. So <laughs> but Bob Jones um, was kind of one of those uh, schools. I had gone there a few times for uh, actually when I was younger for basketball camp. I played I played college basketball. Uh, so I went there and, and I remember thinking then it's not strict like you would see, you know, while you're there for a semester. But I remember thinking like these people are kind of strange. Mm. But when I was really, I'll say, scared into the ministry, um, Bob Jones was appealing from a conservative standpoint because it had more of a liberal arts education. Yes. So that pulled me in. I was like, oh, because I, I also am an artist. I paint. And I was like, that okay. would be kind of cool. So I pursued it that way. But when I got there, Tim, I had no clue, honestly, how strict it was. I remember my first day in the dorms and they have separate dorms, guys and girls, right. and the, on separate sides of campus. Of course. When I was in the dorm room. I was blasting Alanis Morissette. <laughs> I had her albums. I mean, oh, I didn't man, grow you up. You were that, in trouble. That, People came running in the room like, what is this? You can't have this. And they took my CDs. And I was like, I'm why sure can't they I did. have this? <laughs> I had no clue going into it. And I had two senior um, senior roommates. So they were very, you know, used to, you know, used to the rules and subscribed to it. And I, I was just like, why, why do right. I have to make my bed every morning at six 30? Why do they have room check? Why do my shoes need to be in a certain place, you know, in the room in my desk and how, why do they get to go through my things? Wait, I'm sorry. Did you just mm-hmm. say, that at every morning at 6 30 in the morning you had to have your bed made like you couldn't sleep in no they had on weekends you could because you know that's okay till what 7 30 <laughs> you know? yeah for real they changed it my sophomore year they stopped doing that but yeah my first year we were up at 6 30 every morning except weekends and they had what they called room checks so they come in and check your room make sure it's clean your bed's made shoes and clothes are organized desk is attractive um, and what year is this? Like, like what, what, what you were talking about here? 2002, 2003. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're at Bob Jones university two years after they overturned their interracial dating ban because they overturned oh, it in yeah. the year 2000. So you, but you're fresh. You're still, you're pretty close to when that oh, ban yeah. was overturned. So they still, so it was still very, wow. I mean, that is, I can't imagine going to a college, paying all this money only to be told that every morning at six 30 in the morning, I have to be up and my bed has to be made. It sounds more like the military than actual, than the college. It is. It's very kind of boot camp. I remember telling different friends outside of the school and family members like, dude, is this like a military base? And I didn't even think much of it. I was like, yeah, I guess it kind of is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're at Bob Jones. You're, you're attracted 
to this school because they have a liberal arts program where I guess you're able to paint churches and Bibles essentially. Right. <laughs> um, but cherubs, so, yeah, yeah cherubs, of course. <laughs> so what, what was the degree you were pursuing at Babylon university? Was it a liberal arts education? Was it theology? Like what were you going for? Yeah, I was doing more of a theology, but my minor was in art and I was actually really attracted to interior design too. Oh, nice. um, but I wasn't allowed to study interior design because I was a man. Yeah. Wow. So it was only for women at that time. I think it's changed. Maybe who knows? (laughs) Who knows? But at the time that was, that that was why, but I stuck with more of a theological base and changed it a little bit to maybe more of a missionary focus or evangelical focus. Mm -hmm. And um, it just, I wasn't, I didn't like it. I mean, I was having a really difficult time. I wasn't um, close to any of the teachers. They weren't Mm. very warm and friendly, Mm. but actually in the art department, the art teachers um, at Bob Jones were warm and friendly. So I really kind of poured myself more into my minor. And actually my minor (laughs) doing art classes is what actually helped my GPA because I was not doing well in the Bible classes. Right. Fair enough. All right. So we are going to progress your story, but I want to go back just for a few minutes back to this, this, this wild Christian camp that you mentioned. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Your face kind of lit up (laughs) when we talked about it. So you said that was, it was there on a senior trip that you were really kind of scared into going into ministry, right? Like, Hey, if you don't go, you're not in God's will. I mean, we, we, most of the audience that, that, that listens to us has grown up in evangelical circles. So we can all think back to a moment where someone quote unquote prophesied over us or in more Mm -hmm. fundamental circles, they just told us what to do. And it's because if we don't do it, we're outside of God's will. What was that? Was, was that your only time at that camp just for that one week? Did you go yearly? What's your relationship to that, to wild Christian camp? Oh man, that's a good, I ended up working for them. You did. Yeah. I, well, I spent three, no, two summers there as a, as a camp counselor. While you were at BJU, Bob Jones? While I was at BJU. And I, um, so that's, that was, uh, that was quite an experience. It's actually in a beautiful place. It's um, close to Brevard, North Carolina, hidden up in the mountains there. Sure. But, um, the, my experience there still, I'm, I'm a, gay man, identify more as queer, but as a closeted LGBTQ person, it was terrifying for me Mm. because that's where I felt more pressure because you're getting these different campers, um, all age groups that are probably LGBTQ themselves. And you're kind of, you're noticing things or they're telling you about pornography they viewed and different sins in their life. And here I am this closeted person trying to tell them about Jesus and he'll fix all their problems. Mm. It was really traumatic for me during those summers. I will say that and trying to remain closeted and trying to figure out who I am. But during that experience, I met probably, I would say a soulmate of mine, one of my closest friends. And she was a daughter of one of the leaders of that camp, but I met her then and just uh, we're still best friends now. And she's Mm. actually on a very similar journey to me Mm. and wanting to kind of step back into these spaces, um, the deconstruction world and trying to help heal. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the trauma that a lot of these institutions cause, but, but the wilds was, um, yeah, you're just basically evangelizing church kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting. You, you bring up how you met that person who you defined, you know, as kind of a soulmate person. Um, I think that a lot of us through, through, you know, processing all of our own church upbringing and trauma, we do have those people in our lives that, that despite all of the hurt, we're grateful that we were able to meet them, you know, 
at that at that time in life, right? So like, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. I, I wouldn't want to go back to how I grew up. However, I, I have met some friends in some of these ministries I was a part of. I was a part of one called Child Evangelism Fellowship. It's a big, uh, it's a big ministry aimed at at kids. They're one of the biggest in the world. And mm-hmm. um, while I'm certainly not proud, maybe now of like what I did, you know, proselytizing all the time, I have met friends who I'm still close to today uh, who have went on similar journeys or who have gotten their doctorate in theology, and mm-hmm. I consider them close friends. And I'm great grateful for those friendships, despite maybe the situation not being ideal. Yeah, totally. It's, um, it helps it all make sense. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, all right. So, so right now in the story, we have how you grew up, you're, you're, you're at uh, Bob Jones University. And then regarding, um, you said that you identify more as queer, right? Is what you, is what you said at, at, at this point, when did you, um, start coming to that realization that, Hey, okay, I, I might be queer. Like how did that play a role into your church life? Um, as you were growing up? Great question. I thank you. It's yeah, these are good. I, it's so nice to be able to kind of talk about this on this type of a platform because I, I'm finally now being able to use my voice. Yeah, it's refreshing. But I, it, I was more aware of it in, in my early teens. Okay, of being attracted to same sex, but it really came more into fruition at Bob Jones while I was in the men's dorms. You know, mm. everyone's walking around in just a towel or, yep. or something. And I was in various leadership positions. And my the, there was one particular year where I was um, what they called like a prayer captain, prayer leader. Oh, and so I, yeah, I kind of was the spiritual leader over a certain hall okay. and rooms. So, and I have happened to have really attractive guys that year on my hall. Yeah. And this inner struggle, because at that time I believed it was wrong. Like mm. this is a this is some sort of a sin that I apparently did something wrong, maybe when I was younger, and uh. God gave me over to this mind. Mm. So that's kind of was my belief at the time. So I actually left. I withdrew. Um, it got so um, overwhelming for me, and the negative thinking, all of that. So I withdrew, went back home, told my parents what was going on. They were, but I kind of worded it with, "I'm afraid I might be gay." Yes. And I need to fix this. Yes. And they were, they didn't know what to do either. Um, they more or less listened to me. So that's when I actually went back to the wilds and worked um, full time um, kind of as part of maintenance crew and did landscaping and did all that. Cause it just, to me was a place to go and just make a little bit of money while I figure out what I'm going to do next. Right. And while I was there, I spoke to one of the leaders about maybe <laughs> being same sex attracted mm. and they directed me to some what I didn't know at the time it was called that, but conversion therapy. Mm. So I left there from working for a, for a brief period and started doing conversion therapy. It was a program wow. actually out of Kentucky that was associated with Exodus, but kind okay. of like a, its own little thing though, too, yep. called pure life ministries. Okay. And so I did that for about six months and wow. it was more of a kind of an online thing, kind of like this, where I would call in, do readings, write papers, all of that. And during that time, when I completed that, I, this is funny too, actually went to another Christian college, actually was trying to go somewhere else besides Bob Jones, this little school in Knoxville, Tennessee called Crown College. Okay. Are you familiar with that at all? I am not familiar with Crown College. 
it's yeah, that's, that's another story for another time, but Fair enough. there I got really involved. It looked like all my credits were going to transfer from Bob Jones actually right. made the college basketball team. They are in the NCCAA. Wow. So I was like, okay, this is cool. Some good yeah. motivation. Yeah. But then after I made the team and started traveling, they came back to me and said, actually your credits aren't going to transfer because we believe differently about the Bible than Bob Jones does. So you're going to have to start as a freshman instead of a junior. So That's the whole reason your credits wouldn't transfer just because they see the Bible differently. Yes. So left, uh. there, left there, I went back to Georgia, lived to my parents and got a job, just a, just a regular job, just to make some money to right, figure out right. well, how I need to, I need a college degree. Like, what am I going to do? Right. So I looked at state schools, state schools, of course, were like, you basically have to start over. What is the Bible? Right. right. Bob Jones, <laughs> so what? <laughs> so it was so frustrating, Tim. So I basically was like, I have to go back. I have to go back and finish. Oh, There's to no Bob Jones. To Bob Jones. So I oh, was heavens. 22. I know I was 22 or 23 at the time. Um, so there, their rules are you can live off campus by yourself at a certain age. Okay. So I had just passed that age gap. Right. So I went back, got my own apartment, lived in town, um, worked at a local YMCA and finished at Bob Jones. And dated dated some girls because you know I had just done some conversion therapy, but then <laughs> right. I realized you were, you were I was, converted. I tell you, and then oh realized while that was happening, it wasn't working. Yeah. So I did another conversion therapy um, organization down in Gainesville, Florida, which had a different. It was a little bit more manipulative, where it was like you know it's okay to be same sex attracted, you just can't act on it. And, and in a sense, kind of bringing in the Kinsey scale, which I don't know if you're familiar with, where it's, I'm not, it's a not, scale I'm not of sure attraction. I'm not sure if the audience is either, if you can describe that okay. really quick. Yeah, it just was developed in the 50s and 60s. Kinsey, man, okay. um, realized by just testing thousands of people that everyone has different levels of attraction. There's not just one thing. Oh. You don't just fit on one side. So it's it's kind of more fluid, your okay. attraction. So this... Um, this type of conversion therapy was like, yeah, it's okay to be same-sex attracted. You just can't act on it. It makes sense. There's there's such thing as liking both, you know, men and women, which we call bisexuality. Right. Um, but you just need to be married to a girl and and all of that. So, and there were other things they used that was more kind of John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. Oh, oh yeah. I'm familiar with yeah. John Eldridge. <laughs> yeah. Which I would bring in more of that toxic kind of masculinity yeah. uh, lens to all of that. So yeah. I left that feeling kind of the same, but like maybe there's something to it. But as soon as I came back to Greenville, was finishing up at Bob Jones, I met a guy that just rocked my world. At Bob Jones? With. He was, he, he's, he went to Bob Jones, but he wasn't a student at the time. He'd already okay. graduated. So ex-Bob Jones. Wow. So that's when it just kind of went downhill <laughs> in the sense from that world. Just like, I love this guy. I moved in with him. Um, I graduated from Bob Jones and then, you know, got a job locally and just tried to figure out how do I, he was just my roommate at the time, but oh, like, of course. How, how does this work? Right. I'm in so, love. It feels great, but right. I can't tell anyone. Right. And and did you at this point in your journey were you were you were you conf conflicted with that? Like, oh, this is wrong. Still, or were you just like, no, this is who I am. I'm embracing it. I'm not going to feel guilty about having these feelings. Or or was that conversion therapy still like? Did that therapy still have a place in your mind of no, no, no? I shouldn't do this. It's not God honoring or something like that. Gosh, that's such a good question. You know, it's it, it's funny. Uh, it relates to actually this mug that I'm holding, which is kind of surreal. I'm getting chill bumps just thinking about. But my last semester at Bob Jones, I took a ceramic class as an elective. So this mug, um, 
kind of ties into this question where I made this mug out of anger while I was still a student at Bob Jones. I'm so glad I still have it because I they're very strict as far as classes you go to, um, how often you, attendance, how often you show up. They had a demerit system. Wow. Where if you, you know, did something wrong, you got demerits and you could only get a certain amount, you'd be, you know, kicked out. Anyways, so this one particular class, a ceramic class, I was late, um, 30 minutes late. And it was actually right when I moved in with my then boyfriend and I didn't set my alarm. So I woke up, got there 30 minutes late and the class was about three hours long. I mean, it's a, it's a lengthy class. So I got in, I did my, you know, did whatever I was supposed to. And then um, the teacher spoke to me afterwards and said, I'm going to have to count this as an absence because you were 30 minutes late. I was like, Oh, please, you know, I'll stay 30 minutes longer. I'll, right. clean, I'll do whatever. And the reason I panicked because that could risk me completing that class, getting a grade and me not graduating, which was a month away. So I begged with the teacher. I was just like, can, can I please make it up somehow? And she was uh, a grad teacher. So she wasn't really like on permanent staff. And she was like, out of my convictions, I can't lie. I'm like, I'm oh not asking gosh. you to lie. I'm just asking if I can make it up somehow those 30 minutes. Right. You were late. And I was like, yeah, I just moved my alarm. Like I actually had a valid reason. Right. I actually was still in my pajamas. <laughs> so like I showed up just like disheveled. Right. I have my convictions. I can't do that. You'll have to take that up with, you know, higher authorities. And I was like, oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh, are you kidding me? Right. And I mean, it was, it was just weeks till I could actually graduate from this fucking institution. Right. So I, so anyways, fast forward a couple of weeks, I do meet with one of the deans over the education to talk about this 30 minutes late, technically yeah. it being an absence, whatever. And you have to be there. It's this, you know, wood paneled room. This guy was very Trump-esque uh-huh. and he's in this black leather um, tufted desk chair and Oh, dude. Like 30 minutes late. And I'll never forget some of the stuff. Hold he on. Said can, to you, me just, can you repeat that? Sorry. Um, yeah. I think I think this one was, was on my end. I, I You cut out when you said that he was in a black leather chair. And then what? Oh, black leather tufted chair. And he asked me if I deserved grace for uh, this absence. And so I just was really confused by that. And I was like, what is he meaning by that? Is this some sort of a trick question? Right. And then he then he went on to just say, you know, we don't deserve. Um, we're we're we don't deserve really anything in this in this world. Kind of that sin narrative. Yes. And um, we're just you know worms. Of course. And did I deserve grace in this instance? And I was just like so puzzled. And uh, next week, and tell me um, what your decision is. And so I remember leaving one away and I was like, what is he even talking about? I, I need to graduate. I will do whatever I need to, to get out of the school and be finished. Right. So I go back about a week later and he's still in that, you know, that chair, oh, yeah. his, his throne. And he's like, what conclusion did you come to? And I was like, well, I wish I was a little smarter then, but I did say, well, I do believe in Jesus <laughs> and I think I'm good. <laughs> right. Right. And he was just like, so you're saying you deserve grace when we as humans don't deserve any kind of grace. And I was like, I don't oh know what God. he's saying. So I was just like, yeah, I, I, I do deserve grace. 
And then he asked me to leave. So I left. And I mean, I graduated. I was able to walk across the stage. They even asked me to share a testimony at my graduation anyways. But my age, my, my age, my rage about that situation, I went and made this mug. So this mug has kind of followed me throughout. And Love even um, recently, I was in a horrible car accident about two years ago. And this mug survived. It was actually in my car. It was the only thing in my car that survived because wow. I was moving. So I had furniture and stuff in my car. And this was in a um, a bicycle helmet protected. And I remember pulling it out from the wreck and be like, gosh, this damn mug is still intact. <laughs> right. But but this all kind of represents where I am now. And at that moment when that happened with the whole discussion about grace and how he approached it, I was like, I'm fucking done with this shit. Mm. Mm. And um, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own because there is no support. I don't like this theology. It doesn't make sense. Right. And so from that point, I just decided, okay, I'm kind of on my own. Yeah. And that's when I started slowly coming out to friends and really lost a community. Uh-huh. family and friends really lost an entire community. And I think that's good to bring that awareness into this space where yeah. that's why some people stay closeted or they just stay very private about yeah. if, if they're possibly LGBTQ. Right. Um, but I would even argue that heterosexuals still have a form of coming out to do. We all do. But for me in particular, yeah. I, I was scared to do it when I finally did it. Understandably, I, I lost a lot. Yeah. A lot of people in the circles that we're in, um, have lost their faith communities for various reasons. And some of them are more traumatic than others, no doubt about it. I would certainly not compare me losing my community to how you lost your community because the the reasons were different, but I still lost people. And it's very painful to lose mm-hmm. people that you think you're going to be with, you know, doing life with, so to speak, right? The rest of your life, people that you thought you were re- really close friends of yours, people that you thought you could trust. And when I came out as, and this wasn't even, um, at the time, I wasn't even fully like bluntly. Yes, I, I I am queer inclusive. It was more well, like we can make a case for it. We should at least have that community allowed to worship despite our theological differences. Even mm-hmm. having that level of advocating for the queer community, which really at the time isn't a ton, but it's something. You know, my pastor pretty much said, "No, nah, you're you're just too far gone." You know, like we just can't we can't worship with you if you're going to keep espousing these beliefs publicly. And again, I was really trying to play the like, hey, despite theological differences, can we still agree that that we're all made in the mm-hmm. imago? day like i was really trying to appeal to like the humanity right and right. um and you know a lot of us including myself we, we, we lost so much so i really resonate with that i think i think what what unites a lot of people who are maybe in the deconstructing community i i don't really like that word but we can use it for sake of our conversation um is that we have lost something um or there's some level of of intense um some form of hurt or trauma attached to our upbringing and i i think it's interesting uh how you kind of mentioned how really the theology of total depravity played a part in that. Cause that's what you're talking about, right? The idea that humans totally. are garbage. We're, we're shit. We are worms. There's nothing good in us. Only God can make us good. And then you have this Dean of, you know, Rob Jones, you know, really like being so dehumanizing to you. Do you think you deserve grace? Well, okay. Maybe yeah. I don't deserve it, but isn't the point of Christ? Like they, he, he bestows it to us. So can you please reflect mm-hmm. that to me? I mean, it's not a hard connection to make, um, but it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. And it's a very powerful rhetoric that really can control people. That's mm. why it's here. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, so you graduate. When did you, mm-hmm. you start getting interested in, in therapy and in, in, in becoming this kind of person to help other people in this way? 
Yeah, it was probably about three or four years ago. I came to kind of a crossroads in my life where I was needing some support. I was looking for a therapist. Yeah. Um, You know, I was dealing with some family issues, some past trauma, you know, especially coming from the conversion therapy camps Mm. and these unexplained, you know, emotions and triggers. I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what to do. So I remember in the Greenville area, there were at that time, I think it's changed recently. There were no really LGBTQ affirmative therapists. Wow. Or that identified on that um, on that spectrum and was yes. a therapist. Yeah. So was, there was no mirroring, no nothing for me. So I I did find a therapist and it was fine. It helped me through some hurdles. But I remember thinking like, why do we not exist? Mm. So I started saying we do exist, but in more of the you know larger cities, Los Angeles, New York. And so the goal was to like, I'm just going to leave everything behind. I'm going to become this healer because I'm just going to become what I didn't have. Because right. there are so many people I knew of in my world in Greenville that didn't have this. Right. So that's when I found an LGBTQ affirmative therapy specialization at a school in Los Angeles. It's one of the only schools in the nation that has that. Mm. So that's what drew me out West mm. was to, in search of answers, really in search of a new beginning. Wow. That's great. And regarding your faith journey, I mean, where, where do you see yourself now with your relationship to Christianity in general? Have you found uh, different doors to explore. You just kind of like, you know what? The Christian faith for me, I'm just leaving the whole thing behind. The Jesus thing, the Bible thing, like I'm not interested. Where do you kind of land on that? Yeah, it's so funny because the the word deconstruction, kind of a buzzword right now. Um, yeah. For me, there was no really, it was just, I blew the house up. <laughs> done. So at that yeah. kind of pivotal moment where I was talking about the mug and everything, I was just like, right. I'm done. Uh, so I didn't step, step foot in any churches for a while, but yeah, just certain things in my life happened later in life where um, th- there was just mystery. It was mysterious. Yeah, and there was no explanation for it. Yeah, so it kind of brought me back full circle to, I would say, more of a a mystic yeah. type teaching. Like I was really drawn to, uh, or am really drawn to Richard Rohr's yes, writings, of course, and some other uh, some <laughs> I other. I saw that one coming when you started saying yeah. the word mystic. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense in my mind, sure, you know, and sure. it helped kind of um, break down historical elements to where we are today, especially with fundamentalism. Yes, and just rocked my world. You yeah, know, how our culture is framed by all this historical stuff, and now that's finally kind of um, being published. Yeah. You know, it's always been there, but there is yeah. more awareness towards it. And yeah. I think that's a really good thing. And yeah, yeah. so yeah, that, that more in that sense. kind of yeah, yeah. philosophy. <laughs> I, I found the term deconstruction, and you even wrote this down in some of your notes for me ahead of time. It's kind of a buzzword. We know that. And it's also a very broad term. You know, it's, some people do, they, they blow the house up. They have no interest in revisiting any of those pieces. I totally get it. You know, I'm, I'm so, I think a lot of us are over the idea of gatekeeping, (laughs) Like, okay, no problem. You know, your journey is your journey. Um, But I do find though, that most people we engage with on new evangelicals are still interested in some sort of divine, Mm -hmm. uh, usually something about, about the person of Jesus and this life that he lived as told in the gospels and is intriguing and beautiful and mystifying. And I Mm -hmm. find that a lot of people are still drawn to this and people like Richard War, among other, you know, liberation theology, queer theology, et cetera, has really helped just 
help it's helped me especially or i should say in particularly understand that 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 the christian tradition is way bigger than the basement of evangelicalism and fundamentalism right and i think a lot of us were taught this is all there is like to be a christian is to have this view of the atonement this view of the bible this view of, of whatever else um and a lot of us are like well Thankfully, due to the internet, I'm exposed to more voices than ever who actually are kind of helping me salvage my faith and reclaiming the beauty of what faith could look like going forward. Is that kind of like similar to what, what you've seen as well in your own journey? Gosh, yeah, yeah, in my own journey, but also looking into the deconstruction movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that it's kind of for me, it's interesting. It's kind of been like watching a football game from home where there's the deconstruction team and yeah. all of its various leaders and people that I follow on Instagram. And sure. I'm very familiar with, you know, versus those, you know, the Christian team. And they're just they're just going at it. And yeah. I'm like the spectator watching TV. And I'm like, why? Right. So then it's like, but then, you know, even preparing for this podcast and stuff, I'm like, well, I'm going to go and watch some of the practices. I need to get a little bit more familiar with this. So I'm down there and I'm watching and I'm watching the coach and I'm watching the players and I'm sitting here and I'm like, Roar kind of was on to something when he said the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. And why are we in this arena, you know, hitting each other out of anger? Why aren't these deconstruction leaders or those who are the leaders um, sure. doing something different? Let's not be in the arena anymore. Let's actually yeah. do something completely different. Let's spread out. Let's um, be more activists. Let's do this. From what I'm seeing from the outside in, there's this, um, there's a football game. Yeah. And there's touchdowns and we're trying to score points. We're yeah. trying to outdo them. And I'm worried in this movement that mm. we will become little oppressors too. Spring is basically a second holiday season. Mother's Day, Father's Day, weddings, the list goes on. And what better way to celebrate them than with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly is the easiest way to shop local stores and compare prices on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered to your door. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits. Not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Yes, I often say with our community that it's we don't want to become fundamentalists all over again. Right. right. Like it's just, it's easy to become a fundamentalist all over again with just, just, just with different language, different perspectives mm -hmm. and wanting to kind of repeat the cycle of chaos that we've come out of. Right. And it's, right. it's tough because on, on one sense for new evangelicals, part of what we do is we do believe in holding the church accountable. Right. We do believe in saying, Hey, evangelical church. You got problems, and 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 that's mm -hmm. my that's my mother. They they birthed me, right? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I want to make it better. And I believe that 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 the evangelical church could do a lot of good things, and has in the past before really Christian nationalism took over. Um, so in mm -hmm. that sense, it's like okay, I'm, I'm kind of playing the game a little bit. But in the other sense, I agree with you a ton, Justin. Where I think to myself often, like how do we not repeat evangelicalism? You know, mm -hmm. like how do we carve better paths forward that our faithful faith communities 
faithful to Jesus, embracing the mystery, non-oppressive, et cetera. And I think a lot of people are in this space where because it's so fresh, right? For a lot of us, this is like we're breathing oxygen for the first time. We're kind of getting all of it out. We're kind of getting, okay, I I can vent and not be judged. Great. Here's all my shit, you know, and here's the shit that (laughs) happened to me. And I think in the next few years, as people kind of go through the process, I would love your insight if you think that this might be a thing or not. Um, I think people, as they start getting out some event and get some of their anger out and, and, and are starting to be heard, they might start then asking, okay, well, what's next? Obviously, no one wants to stay angry forever, but how do we start building new communities that are faithful and beautiful and not oppressive, et cetera? What are your thoughts? Yes. Well, trauma not transformed is transmitted. Oh, Powerful. So you're going to find people and I see it in this movement and the leaders, they're angry as fuck. And I yeah. get it. Like right. I get it. Right. And they're, they're starting their own podcast They're they're putting it on Instagram, you know, fine. It's not going to be transformative. Hmm. So my kind of uh, notion coming in is like, Hey, I'm a therapist. I'm a healer. Right. right. And I really think these people who are possibly leading it or not just on their deconstruction journey need to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. They need to find a safe space to work out this anger, yeah. to work out this resentment, to work out the trauma. Right. And once they can transform it, they can find healing from that. I think they can go out and be better activists and better transformers. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it's funny you say that because um, I'm in therapy for what happened at my church or losing my faith community. And mm. I'm not naturally a very angry person. I, I'm really not. I'm just not how I'm wired. I'm very angry over what happened to me a few months ago. Like I'm pretty bitter and livid over it. And um, I told myself, you need to get therapy because you have uh, you created this platform and you're kind of the face of it right now, just because of the nature of the beast of social media. And the, your anger could turn into bitterness real quick, and then it's a problem, right? Like, I think anger can be yeah. a healthy fuel, or it can really wreck you. Um, and <laughs> I was in therapy a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just venting. I'm getting it all out in this safe space. And at the end of it, my wife overheard some of it. She goes, you said fuck a lot. I'm like, I know, because I'm so fucking angry. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's like, ah, I had to get it out. And better there between me and someone else privately than me saying all those words publicly, just because those yeah. words aren't, weren't meant to be heard publicly, right? I'm not looking mm-hmm. for scrutiny. It's just, it's just raw emotion coming out. So I, I, mm-hmm. I think you're onto something where people who, who, even if they didn't, even if they didn't mean to, who have influence in platforms and are claiming to be someone speaking on behalf of some kind of movement, owe it to mm-hmm. themselves. And I am one of these people to make sure that we're doing our best to be healthy, right. To help carve new paths forward, to also create safe spaces for others who maybe don't have access to those things. Totally. And you're, you're onto it. And if they can do that individual work, they can better help people that are on the same journey yeah. instead of staying in the same cycle, this same system. Right, right. Right. Because evangelicalism feeds off of anger and rage. I mean, especially white evangelicalism, right? I mean, we know the playbook. I grew up in it. You've been a part of it. They feed off of scare tactics, boogeyman tactics and anger. And I don't want to game analogy. Yes. And I don't want to, I don't want to play that game forever. Right. Certainly there are moments to call it out, but having a nonstop life of just consuming and responding, consuming, responding, there's gotta be better ways to live. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, totally. And I mean, that's their arena. That's their arena. They're right. ready for it. You know, they've got a one up on us because they're waiting for the second coming and they've got a second life that they get to do whatever. I right. mean, you know, they can use whatever sure. to kind of tactics. We'll call them touchdowns when yeah. realistically it's just not valid. And it's, we need to be in a completely different place. We don't mm. need to play by their rules, by their game. Let's, let's take this to a way better plane a transcendence. Yeah. And I'm not seeing that happen yet. Mm. And that's okay because we need to probably get some of the anger out. But again, let's do it on an individual journey. Let's do it in some sort of therapy. And I would love to talk about like, what is good therapy, like a safe place for people to go to because psychology itself can also be oppressive. So we have to kind of know how to Okay. You know, move about this. Yeah. Yes, I, I want to move into that. I have one more question that I think will lead us there. Um, yeah. So I don't know how to ask this question. So if I overspeak, forgive me, but I'm, I'm going to try and get it out so you understand. We live in a very individualistic society, right? Where everything is the individual. How do I get therapy? How do I get help? That's obviously needed and important. I get that. But as far as a group collectively going through something, mm. right, mm-hmm. there are pa- just like how there are patterns in the grieving process for the individual. I think that there are grieving processes for the for the collective. Right. So so where in I'm not sure if you can answer this, but if you can best your best guess, where do you think collectively as a for lack of a better term, deconstruction movement, do you think we are in the in the in the traumatic or I guess the healing process of recognizing trauma and starting to heal from it? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. There's so many avenues for this, but I think, yeah, people need to have a little bit. I I agree. The problem is an individualistic culture. That is a big problem. But to agree, we have to also differentiate and have our own healing personally. But I think there also needs to be spaces that are open enough for people to collectively share their healing journeys. And what can we do about it? We got to get out of the football field. We got to actually be starting these spaces and these groups, not for self, not for ego. Right. Cause I'm seeing that a little bit too, or for Mm -hmm. some sort of uh, situation like that, but for just pure love and acceptance and healing. Yeah. And um, yeah. So kind of that journey and to kind of go into that too, a little plot twist is actually looking at sex therapy mm. in our sex lives. I think sex in this community, <laughs> coming from the evangelical world, yeah. um, what I'm noticing in therapy and what I'm doing in my own studying, and I'm studying to become a sex therapist, is wow. sex seems to be a crucial, a crucial gateway to an authentic part of ourselves. Mm. It's um, our sexuality can speak and reflect some of the most honest and vulnerable parts um, of our being. And from that culture that has been very neglected and it's been controlled. Mm. So I want to bring that element into some sort of a sexual liberation, I think can also be a huge key in our healing and also understanding ourselves more as a collective. Okay, let's park there for a few minutes because now we're in the realm of therapy. You mentioned sex therapy. Um, a lot of, you know, my, 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 I shouldn't say my, I always say that our community, because there's 16 people who help run this thing. Um, are, it's mainly women who engage with us on Instagram. It's, it's 70% female oh, or people. Yeah. Interesting. And, mm-hmm. and so, and that actually is pretty common for a lot of these larger deconstruction type accounts. Um, and uh, every couple months we do the way our account works is we'll ask questions. People share anonymously We screenshot, we share in the stories because people just a way to kind of vent and they can be heard without being known in that way. It's kind of a safe spot for them. 
every mm-hmm. couple of months we do one on purity culture and we do it intentionally every couple of months because it really has messed people up and it's really affected women in a very specific way. And it's important that they have a way to kind of vent some of that stuff. So dig into this for me, unpack this mm-hmm. idea of sex therapy and also sexual liberation. When, when you say that, what mm-hmm. does that mean? Does that mean, Oh, sleep with whoever you want. It doesn't, you know, there, there are, there is no ethics to sex anymore. Or are you, are you trying to say something mm-hmm. different? Like, how do you unpack that? Gosh, we could talk for hours on this, but, but <laughs> well, you brought think, it up, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Purity culture in general, it needs to be, um, less reactive and move to a more robust view of sexuality. Mm. Now that goes into more of a cultural narrative where we don't have good sex education mm. whatsoever. And the only sex education really out there is heterosexual. I mean, just, you know, for straight right. people. Right. So there's right. nothing really for LGBTQ people. We've had to find it through various avenues, porn or, mm. um, you know, on the school bus <laughs> talking to someone or whatever, right. like there was no mirroring or no outlet for that. Right. So that makes sense. As a culture, we, we don't, we are so immature sexually. So, oh. so I think that needs with a good sex therapist, some people can dive into the more avenues of that because I think sex and that, um, that sexual energy isn't just for the act of sex. It actually can seep out into more of a spirit of love, a spirit of just pleasure different various pleasures in our life and intimacy. Hmm. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little, um, I don't want to use the word triggered, but it's like, Ooh, mm. so you said some things that make me a little uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like hmm, pleasure, um, sex that isn't necessarily actively sex, but like comes out in the form of love. What does that mean? Um, because again, I, like many of us, I'm a product of purity culture and my wife and I have been we have a very, we're very open about our, our sex life with, with, with each other. You know, we don't have any boundaries there, which I'm grateful for. I know some people have those boundaries, but we're, we're talking about what, what this means for us to have different boundaries and what purity culture has given us for you. When, when you say uh, sexual liberation, are you referring to just like, can you unpack sexual liberation a little bit more for us? Like for the community who's listening to you, what does it actually mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a historical context to it, but I guess to bring it in now would be to um, it's basically just trying to deepen an intimacy within yourself, Mm. but also being more open to various sexual identities and what is sex, what is measured as healthy sex, and then looking at the education system. But also, I mean, statistically there's heterosexuals that probably are the majority of the culture or a majority of um, the planet. But statistically half of that, that maybe is heterosexual is actually bisexual. And that comes back to the Kinsey that I was talking about earlier, the scale there's, there's half of your audience. Let's just say half of your audience is most likely on that bisexual spectrum. Hmm. Now it's hard to measure because there's a lot of people who, or probably still have some shame around that. Right. Um, aren't very comfortable sharing it. So it is sometimes hard to measure, but there's a majority of people, at least half that are attracted to both genders. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's the, the, you know, a little part of that, that is LGBTQ right. or L- LGTQ. So okay. right. what I'm trying to say is we're all on this spectrum And not many people are very open to exploring different things sexually because of the negative attitudes towards sex and the negative attitudes towards LGBTQ people. Right. And I think part of the reason, at least for me and maybe for the audience, could be 
because I've been taught my whole life that the Bible is the final authority on almost anything moral. Now mm. that I'm thinking beyond that in the sense of, I still find the Bible to be full of wisdom when taken in its you know, context, but as far as it being a primarily a rule book, I don't see it that way so much anymore. But then what that does is it leads, a, it leaves a gap, right? Because it's like, well, then what is my new source of what is right and what is wrong in this case, sexually, right? Like what are my new boundaries? Is it just as long as it's consensual, is that the only boundary? Mm. Is there any ethic to sex anymore? Mm-hmm. How do I teach my, my my son as he grows up, you know, responsible, healthy sexuality that allows mm-hmm. him to make decisions, but also gives him some kind of framework, right? Because I think yeah, sex still yeah. is, it, I do believe as a, as I would identify as a follower of Jesus, that, that there still is a spiritual and sacred aspect to sex in general. How do we handle that responsibly while not, mm. while not dehumanizing just to, just to a, a physical feeling? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And when you bring in that moral and then that sexual and blend it together, that to me is healthy sexuality. So mm. consensual, yes, safe, mm. safe sex, you know, protection, whatever you both agree upon is safe for you. Yeah. Um, that comes with more of being, you know, consensual, but making sex, the focus of the act of sex, pleasure and fun centered, mm. not penetration centered, mm. not orgasm centered, mm. pleasure and fun. Mm. And that is hard for a lot of people from our various backgrounds to actually lean into. Yeah, Why should I have me. pleasure and fun? I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm scum of the earth. Right. Right. And also changing your definition. Like, you know, a lot of men probably feel like if they don't have an orgasm, was it actually sex? Right. Oh, yeah. Like that's how- where erectile dysfunction comes in. And right. I, I changed the narrative on that. It's erectile disappointment. It's not like always going to work. It's not always going to work the same. And that's natural and fine. We didn't learn that in sex education. People no. go and take Viagra or they go to porn and be like, why can't I perform like that dude? Well, right. he's on three Viagras. That's how he can perform for hours. Right. That's not natural. Right. But we don't, there's no talk about this. I think that's really a huge, a huge thing that needs to be dis- destigmatized. Uh, along with, you know, I was under the assumption, because my, my, my wife and I, we did, we did things, quote unquote, right? We waited for marriage, right? And, you know, you just assume because mm. of how purity culture teaches you that as a man, I'm, I'm always going to want sex at any moment. I, I'll drop, I'll leave this conversation right now and go have sex kind of thing and my wife you know i think i maybe sometimes and then as we got into mm. our marriage and got into our rhythms um you know i i had a lot of moments where i just wasn't in the mood i thought oh my god is something wrong with me like you know maybe i'm, I'm not performing like how i want to or whatever it is right is something wrong with me this isn't working properly because i had no context mm-hmm. for what is just a normal human experience where you're just not always in the mood to have sex and that's normal it is, and it fluctuates. It's also fluid. There's going to be months where it's hyperactive. There's going to be months where it's not. There's going to be times when you're feeling it, and that is all okay. Yeah. That's very reassuring, honestly. I think for the audience, it's probably reassuring too, because again, yes. just what we what we were taught between that and, and, and a diet of pornography in our culture, you don't know what's real. You know, like yeah. is, is that person at you know in the kitchen just in the mood automatically? Because that's what porn teaches me. Or can this guy go for hours? Right. You know, and, and never mm-hmm. never lose his erection? Because if that's the case, I'm a failure. You know, like just things like that. Yeah. You know? Totally. Which brings in like we need more porn literacy. Mm-hmm. That's that's not even ever addressed either. But where people can see the realities of this, what where porn can actually benefit your sex life and where it doesn't, mm-hmm. where you don't need it, you know, and what are some good ethical porns to watch, like feminist porn. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's sometimes it's oh, feminist porn. It's great. Like I, I sometimes 
prescribe it for clients where it's um it's not this guy walking in the office and throwing his secretary over the desk. Yeah. It's it's consensual. Mm. It's 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 playful. It's erotic, and it's mm. it's a mutual coming together, mm. and it plays out beautifully. So there's even some more ethical avenues for that to for people to look into. I really wonder at this moment how uncomfortable my audience is at this at this point in the conversation. <laughs> That's good. They need to lean into it. I mean, lean hey, they, they listen to the podcast and they know they're always here for something different. And I think I think if the audience is listening and maybe someone's out there like this is too far for me. I'm not, we're not asking you that you have to agree with, with with Justin or with myself. We're just asking you to acknowledge that there are a wide variety of ways to view these things. You should at least be aware of how people are looking at some of these conversations, whether you agree or not. It's a different conversation than what is out there and how some people are approaching this for their own healing journey, which is very important. So I want to put, put that out there as a disclaimer, because whenever we talk about sex, especially pornography, I think a lot of us, a lot of people can mm. just, again, it can be a trauma response, right? Just from how we, we were growing up with it or what we were taught about it, being exposed to it at, at, at a really early age and how it really affected us. So there's a lot in that realm that we can't unpack here for the conversation. But I do appreciate right. you, Justin, you know, kind of hitting on that. Um, yeah, and take take these triggers to a sex therapist. I love that. That's really good. Um, take it, work have, it out. Do you have some more time? Can you, can you hang out for a few more minutes? Yeah, let's All go. Right, great. I want to talk about this idea that therapy could be oppressive. I want to circle back to that because that one really kind of kind of made me. Mm-hmm. Go, we got to talk about this before our time mm-hmm. is up. Can you unpack that? What does that mean that therapy can be oppressive? Gosh, well, well, you know, therapy or psychology was created by two cisgendered white men. So let's acknowledge that Freud and Jung. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times when it comes uh, different therapists and how they're, it depends on a lot of how they're trained too. We can try to mold someone that's in front of us for them to blend in with various systems of oppression. Ah, so we have to be really informed on on uh, on everything that we're not forcing a client to lean into a certain direction that actually is hurting them. Hmm. So, for example, you know, there's a lot of Instagram influencers out there that are um, showing their body to everyone, which is fine and great. But you know, they'll come into the therapy office and they're having sex problems. And so, you know, as you dig into it, you're like, I wonder why that's happening. Hmm. Well, they're trying to become something they're not and hmm. their, their sexuality, or let's just say they're, um, let's just say they're cisgendered male. They're not able to have sex the way they want to, right? because they are um, putting an identity out there in the world that they have to stay with. And they ah. think that is getting them some sort of attention, credibility, um, and it's actually hurting them. It's actually hurting their mental health and actually helping. So in a sense, you know, some therapists may not ever pick up on that. They're just like, do your thing, you know, go take some pills. I'll get you a psych, you know, right. psychiatrist. No, actually what he's doing in his life is actually harming him. Hmm. So we just have to be really aware of just even little minute things like that. And um, especially when as a, as a white cisgendered male, if I have a client that's a person of color, their struggle and their life is very different from mine. Right. So even be aware of that and be like, why can't you get a job? You're right. Why right. aren't you documented? Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So just being keenly aware of that in sex, because there's a lot of therapists that are more sex negative hmm. and are trained kind of more that way. So if you talk with them about sex, they're not really probably going to be very encouraging of you experimenting sexually or um, being more fluid in your sexuality. Hmm. 
Interesting. So you want to be in a space where you can be really open about everything. Yeah, that's really helpful. Put it on the table. Yeah, I like that. You, you, uh, you know, before we get ready to wrap up here, you mentioned uh, before we, we recorded the the concept of trying to find a good therapist. You know what what, what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big struggle for people um, in the deconstruction community um, for a lot of reasons. It could be economical, uh, right? It could just be hey, I don't have the money uh, for a therapy. My insurance doesn't cover it. It could be how do I even look for someone who understands evangelical culture who also isn't going to tell me to re- read my Bible and pray more, right? Like yeah. um, you know. So what are some of your tips and your suggestions for people out there who are looking for or just someone to help guide them through uh, via therapy. And also, could you separate for me at some point in this conversation, a therapist versus a counselor versus like a coach and how those are separate things? Does that make sense? Because I hear yes. I, I hear these terms intertwined a lot and I don't think they're all the same. <laughs> That's yeah, important. They're, they're not. Yeah, yeah they're okay. not. I'm glad you brought that up. As far as a therapist, like psychology today is a really wonderful resource where you can even type in the area you live in and various modalities they might use, like methods, like if they're trauma-informed, that kind of a a thing, or PTSD or whatever. So that's a good resource. But for a good therapist, you want someone who is trauma-informed, especially within this community. They know Mm -hmm. what trauma looks like. They know how it affects your nervous system and how it affects your overall health. And also, I really encourage friends that go into therapists into therapy too, just to get someone who's sex positive. And typically therapists will have that on their various profiles mm. um, that they're sex, sex positive. They're not sex negative. So look at that because you want someone who can hold a container with everything that might, you might feel is uncomfortable, especially coming from an evangelical or fundamental background. It's going to be hard for you to talk about it. So you want a therapist right. who can sit there and, you know, and hear you and help, you know, pull, tie things together for you that you may not be educated on. Mm. Um, So that's why I encourage sex therapy too. And that's, you can search sex therapists, but within that you have to be careful. And this is of course, just my opinion, not to find someone who says they're a sex therapist, but they have CSAT beside their name, C-S-A-T. That is a certified sex addiction therapist. Mm. So I come from more of a, of the camp of it's not a thing. Sex addiction isn't a thing. We can talk about that some other time, but that tends to be more of a sex negative response for people that are in various walks of life. So you want to avoid that, especially if you're wanting to talk more about your personal sex life. You don't want someone coming in thinking, you know, I viewed porn today. Oh, you must have an addiction. Mm. No, that's not the case. Mm. So it tends to be more sex phobic. So a licensed sex therapist, usually they're from a sect is a, is a governing body of sex therapists here in America um, and someone who can do more narrative work and narrative therapy is fairly new. It originated in New Zealand and Australia, but it's people who can help people like us from our background kind of change the narrative. They use different words and phrases, or let's look at it this way. Yeah. And that can be really beneficial for people who have trauma, especially from religious circles. Mm, okay. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we unpack, you know, um, therapist versus coach versus counselor? What are some of the differences there? And, and what should people look for um, depending on, on what they're looking to have? Or uh, what, what I should say, what should people look for in regards to what kind of help they're looking for? With, with each yeah. of those? Counselors, I, you know, 
<laughs> with within the framework I did through psychology, through marriage and family therapists, yeah. um, clinical psychology, um, you get a lot of training, you know, learning the history and the various modalities, especially around addiction. You get a lot of training and um, those that are take more of the counseling, I'm not so sure they get as much training around that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of counselors are typically more faith-based. Yes. So you, I would say avoid that to mm. be honest, because you could be talking about some trauma that occurred with an uncle or childhood trauma and how it's affecting you. And they might ask you at the end, how's your walk with Christ? Right. And that's just going to spiral you. So just be cautious with some of that. Um, coaches, it's kind of more of a self thing, self-made, you know, they, they probably study on their own. There's various certifications you can get from coaching where you just kind of pay a fee and it's more or less, they kind of direct you through how to talk to people, mm. but it's not, it's not really any kind of intense grad school training. Mm. Okay. So a lot of the things they say is just stuff either they've learned on their own personal walk, right? Um, which can be informative and great, but it's not necessarily the best. Yeah. And my experience is coaching is more like, hey, let me help develop you as a person. Like here's some disciplines that you might want to get into. Here's how you say more, almost like almost like life coaching, really, um, which mm-hmm. is more of a self-development as far as not really dealing with dealing with maybe trauma, but more of like, let's get your habits in shape, you know, make sure you're reading more, whatever it is. Uh, it yeah, seems like it's kind yeah. of its own realm, even though I think people kind of conflate all of these terms in their head and like, oh, anything that, that must be helpful, uh, you know, whether it's coaching, counseling or therapy, they're just all the same, all the same training. Mm-hmm. And I feel like obviously, oh, and you know, this it's, it's not, yeah. and that's important to recognize, right? Be- yeah. 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 And a lot of coaching too is around financial wealth too. Yes. Like how can I get my business more successful and stuff like that? Right. So right. they're not going to be able to help you with your emotions. Yeah. Um. The, the counseling thing, the comment that you made, I, I think is really accurate. Um, when I went through a pretty, um, I went through, uh, it's called, uh, my, 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 my wife calls it Saturn's return. It's like a moment in your life when you have Saturn comes full circle and you have like this like midlife crisis at like 28. Well, I went through that and, uh, you know, had major panic and anxiety. And it was just it, like a light switch, you know, just out of nowhere, just full fight or flight mode. I lost like 30 pounds in a month. I, I, I was just losing my mind. I felt like. And um, that was the beginning of me under getting into therapy. It started it started with a Christian counselor. And honestly, he was a great guy. He was super helpful. Um, and I appreciated him. But there was a point where I said to myself, I need something a little more clinical, mm-hmm. right? Like I need mm-hmm. someone who can actually tell me, nope, uh, you know, this is what this is what's happening psychologically. Here's some things we should start working through. And I did. I, I found this secular therapist, and and honestly, it it absolutely um, saved my mental health for sure. And that was one of the moments, well, it was another moment in, in my life where I said, huh, maybe like Christian, everything isn't always the best, right? You just assume, oh, this is a Christian counselor. They must be the best. But a lot of times it in this realm, it's kind of the opposite. And it's not even intentional, right? I don't think my counselor was trying to mislead me or trying to harm me. He was just repeating what he knew and what he was trained based on his faith-based training. Gosh. Yeah. And I, you know, psychotherapists with our training, we, it's our job to know human nature better than anyone. Mm. So that's why I really want to encourage that. And if you're getting everything from the Bible, especially sexual education, you're going to get nowhere. I mean, the people that wrote it at those various times in in history had no sexology. 
right. or knowing anything about sexual identity. Right. So it, you're it not going to get anything. <laughs> it wasn't the thing. It just, yeah. <laughs> we can thank Freud, so, I think, for our sexual identity issues. You know? <laughs> gosh, yeah, for real. And himself, Freud himself, was actually more or less bisexual. Huh. Interesting. Did I know that? So was, so was um, Abraham Lincoln. What? So was George Washington. Stop yeah. it. You're blowing yeah, up. Abraham Lincoln had, no, Abraham Lincoln had bedmates. You are joking. No, see, this stuff isn't talked about. No, of course not. Because you know why? If you say that, what 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 are you told? Oh, it's the gay agenda coming for your kids. Look, they're sexualizing everything. That that I yeah. you know it's what it's what kid happens. Rhetoric is so weird. Oh, yeah. it's terrible. It's terrible. Well, it's uh, their way of kind of getting people to really not like you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And again, scared, right? It's a scare tactic. Oh, don't Fear. don't look at that. It's gonna harm you. In reality, purity yeah. culture is at some points, unfortunately, killing people. And I'm sure you know the statistic. I, I'm not sure if you know who Bridget Eileen Rivera is. She wrote the book Heavy Burdens. Mm -hmm. It's a great book. Mm -hmm. Um, and she points out in the book that that statistically speaking, uh, the queer community is at a higher risk of suicide if they attend a church. They're the only group in America to be at a higher risk if they attend a faith-based church. And it makes sense when you hear this kind of stuff. It's crazy. It does. And, you know, I still have family members and my, my fiance has family members that still like will quote scripture just, you know, because it's part of their everyday life. And I'm like, they don't understand yeah. how harmful that actually is. Totally. And to able, able to reach LGBTQ people that left the church, scripture isn't going to do it for you. No, you're totally right. It's not. It's going to push them away. You're on the, you're on the money. I, 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 yeah, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, the, the church has, I can't even just, you know, better than I do how much they've completely not just dropped the ball, but have dehumanized the queer community for decades, whether it's oh, the AIDS crisis thing? all the way through it, it it's shameful. And, and they haven't, the church has not repented and they need to, because they, they are mm -hmm. directly responsible for many deaths, many, unfortunately. Oh, totally. And today, and I mean, I've worked with the LGBTQ homeless and mm -hmm. these kids kicked out. Wow. Wow completely disowned and kicked out from their parents and in, in every, every instance, it's some sort of, it could be Mormon. It could be Catholic. It could be fundamental completely. So, so how yeah. do you, how do you stay out of the football field then? You know, like if you see this and I'm sure it makes you angry, how do you as, a, as Justin, how do you, you know, not just lose your shit every day ranting at the evangelical church for the harm they're causing to the queer community? Like, how do you do it? I, I do it full time. I am what I am. I'm a psychotherapist serving this community. I've yeah. made it my, I've made it my career, my vocation. Yeah. This is my way. And even talking with you, this is my way to be an activist. Mm. This is my activism. Yeah. It's to change this narrative. It's for you to hear from more queer people, how we feel, what we're doing, what our thoughts are. Yeah. And I really think it's going to be queer voices that heal this world. And I've said to friends and family members, you know, LGBTQ people historically have been, I mean, ancient times have been the spiritual leaders. They were the mm. shamans. Mm. And I really think if we're going to turn this around, even within a church structure, yeah. I got to say it, it needs to be led by LGBTQ people. Mm. We well, have an innate spiritual gift in our DNA to channel this and to heal. Mm. I, I am hopeful, and it's not soon enough, but I am hopeful that in a few decades, um, the evangelical church looks back with disdain at how they treated the queer community. I'm hopeful of that. I think it is changing. It's not soon enough. It should have happened a long time ago. Um, and I agree with you. I think that 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 really minority voices need, need to lead 
you know, going forward. Um, I just did, I'm not sure if this will be out by the time I release this other series, but I just did a three-part series with uh, uh, Brian and Shay from Queer Theology. Um, mm. They're great humans. And uh, we just did a three-part series with them and unpacking their stories and also their theology. And Shay is a priest in the old Catholic tradition. And mm. I mean, that was just mind-blowing to me hearing him talk about it. So I agree with you. You know, the, the queer voices have been silenced, but they they need to be heard. They offer beauty and insight into the divine that no one else can offer. And we should be learning from them, <laughs> not mm-hmm. dehumanizing them, right? So yeah. And there's a reason they've been silenced. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 um, we're not as controllable. Mm-hmm. We're more liberated in our everyday lives. And, um, people from, from that side, they don't like it. Yeah. That's good. Well, Justin, I appreciate you making time. I appreciate you coming on and talking about all these things. Um, I loved that we push the conversation to, into some new territory for the podcast. We need that to happen. People need to be aware of perspectives that that that, that they're not um, listening to all the time. So hopefully this podcast helps do that. Where can people find you? Are you on Instagram? Like, do you do any social media work, et cetera? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's my name, Justin Oberstein. And then um, they can email me too through my, through, through my private practice. It's justin at justinoberstein.com. Great. Well, I'll make sure to put uh, your Instagram uh, handle in the show notes, and I'm sure we'll have this conversation again. I appreciate the time. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.